Hello. Lady Holder? Yes. Yeah, yes. you're on the you, air. Oh, you're okay. on the air. Um, because Shit. I gotta go. I'm sorry. Oh. I'll be right back, you guys. Okay. I'm so sorry. I wasn't prepared for the thing to start so what quickly. Was the and... World Economics and Storycraft. World Economics. Oh, that Bye. thing. Bye. One go. second, like, like a minute. Okay. Complete, your, complete thy errand. World, world Economics and Storycraft. Uh, y'all realize I don't have her training, right? Um, work, word economics basically comes into play right now because we are doing breath trade and we have that lovely word goal that we're all trying to, to reach <clears throat> or in some people's cases not surpass um, and so being able to pick and choose the the words that best fit your um, your story, your circumstances, the length of your uh, um, the length of your story is is an incredibly um, useful talent. Uh, it's very it's very difficult to write ten thousand words and get your full story in there. Um, as far as Good uh, Sorry, you guys. For, hey, I'm I'm actually pontificating about the actual subject. Go meet. Okay, okay, good. Let me get comfortable because I just ran around like I was crazy. It kind of you snuck are, up on me because I was doing shit. And anyway, yeah, don't worry continue. about it. Continue. So continue. Continue. Yes, the 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 making of of actually hitting your your word goal. Yeah. Um. It's a lot harder than you think some days. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I've made I have I've made it once on Rough Trade, and that was a ten thousand word set, and um, I was actually really proud of myself because I actually made it exactly ten thousand words, and. I think that's about the only time I've actually made the exact number. I've come close, but um, I don't think I'm going to hit ten thousand or forty thousand words this this month. I think I'm going to fly right past it, just like everybody else who is writing a really involved story. So um, it's interesting uh, to see if I can do that um, because this I, I try and hit it, stay within the story. Um, Okay, go. All yours. Oh, me? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I have a chicken I have to deal with. I'm making soup. I thought okay. I was going to be on mute. <laughs> I'll put you back on pause so that we won't hear your cooking noise. I don't care. No, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, uh... <laughs> wow. Sorry, you guys. I've just been a little... Um... What's the term? Uh, scatterbrained? Yeah, that works. Like I, I can't even think of the word. Uh, 
what I was talking about earlier is that um, I am at 35k on my story for um, Rough Trade for Iterum. Um, and I realized as I was writing last night, and I got too tired to do um, my read through, my spell check before I posted, that I was, um, although I'm on point as far as my plot document goes, um, it got a little bigger than I anticipated, and I have two parts left, and I'm probably going to hit around 43 or 44k, which means I'm going to bust over the word um, maximum for the challenge. And I was uh, thinking about it, and um, I'm not particularly uh, upset with myself for going over challenge. And um, I've done it before. Um, Sometimes you just don't. Sometimes your story isn't served with the word count you've been presented with. I've seen people on Rough Trade um, have these really big, huge, amazing ideas that they tried to cram in to 20 or 30 or even 40K or 50K during November. And I'm like, dude, that's, your idea is way too big. I mean, like, 50K is just like the fucking first chapter of that idea. And you, <laughs> and I watch, and I watch that happen, and I watch that unfold, and then they bust over 50K like a gold medal list just boom just whoosh, right over it they fly over like iron man and um it's just what happens when you have when an idea unfolds and when it's happened to me professionally in the past i had to make a decision about um the work and if that work was going to meet the specifications of the market that i was going for and if it didn't i I'm nine times more likely to finish the work the way it's supposed to finish and just market it somewhere else and then go back to the drawing board for the market that I wanted to participate in. Say, for instance, if I wanted to submit a short story to a magazine or um, to write um, like a novella for an e-publisher and I busted over their word count, instead of sacrificing my story for the sake of word count, I simply write my story, give my story the um the content it deserves and and service my idea appropriately and then <clears throat> then I go back to the market and say okay I need a smaller idea because obviously this is this isn't going to work in 40k or this isn't going to work in 20k and that way what I can do is um just uh relax on the idea that I must cram this idea into 40k when it's not going to work. I hope they have sound. Um, Jilly, do you have sound? No, you're on the phone. Of course you have sound. I don't even know why I bothered asking you. I've got sound. I can hear you just fine. I'm all in your ear. <laughs> so, what's your thought on busting over word count? Because I know you do it. Because it's just like what we do, right? It's just like... Because <laughs> yeah, I'll never be able to write 10K in Harry Potter. That's never happening. No. <laughs> 10K is my first chapter. What? 
I mean, if I have to choose between hitting word count or writing the story I want to tell, I'm going to tell the story I want. Um, what I have done a couple times in the past is realize that I'm going to be too big and plotted to a, uh, an earlier ending. So, mm-hmm. like last April, I I realized that the hospitality of hobbits was going to be um, way too long for um, the challenge, which was 20k. We had two 20ks. That's incredible. And uh, and I um, sat down and found a, a an earlier place to end it that was still an ending, you know. Right. Not you know not like so. There's this whole big chunk of plot that that got put aside for a sequel. And I would rather do that, which is not something you can really, I imagine you can't really do easily in pro works, is, you know, especially with a first novel, is go, oh, well, well, I just carved out all my plot for a sequel. <laughs> 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 I think, you know, professionally, that one thing that trips up fan fiction writers as they move out of fan fiction and move into original works and um, and the professional market is that there are stringent word requirements. And word economics is so super important when you're writing for for money because a lot of publishers are not going to put down the kind of money required to put 150, 200k in print. And those publishers are usually hardcore science fiction publishers. I want to say that sounds like science fiction or fantasy because that's the only thing I ever read that's that long. And what you'll notice is that J.K. Rowling's first book in the Harry Potter series, The Philosopher's Stone, is the smallest of all of the books. And she had to keep it short. I mean, I think it's under 70,000 words. We can look it up. I'm sure there's a chart out there somewhere that has all of, all of them listed. And the more popular the series became and the more money that Bloomsbury made, the more room she was given to tell a story but if she slapped 200k down on, on a desk and i think like prisoner of azkaban or maybe order of the phoenix was 200k they'd have been like no no we're not taking a risk on a new author for 200k no absolutely not because you had to keep on? in mind that 200k cost literally three times more to put into print than 65k it's a matter of, um, literally, physically, it's a matter of physical cost. There's um, the cost of printing, there's the cost of shipping, there's the cost of returns and putting a book into a bookstore and having to pay for the, and taking a loss on returns because a bookstore will order 500 copies of a book. Okay, no, no let me back up. A bookstore will order 30 to 40 copies of a new author. What they don't sell inside of six months to a year, they return to the publisher, and the publisher has to eat the cost. Damn. So you know, it, there's also a reader side of that too. In that, in that, um, with a new author, I'm not going to take a chance on a two hundred thousand word book because that's I'm expensive. Just, it, yeah, it, it, it's an expensive book. It's an expensive time investment. And if you're not sure you want to read that, you know, it's kind of like you could suck. And I just bought a thirty-five dollar book of yours. You know, it, it's just, you know, even when other people review, even when other people say it's fantastic, you know, I, if it's and if 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 uh, Nora Roberts, J.D. Robb put out a really long book, I, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd buy the to. shit out of J.D. Robb. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
I've been waiting yeah, for like, this. Is there going to be some like, sex there. <laughs> Okay, Starkiller says that the Philosopher's Stone was just under 77,000 words, while the Order of the Phoenix was the longest at 257. So you can see she kind of, she, they gave her more room as she became more successful and made them more money. Of course, if the first book had not sold well, we wouldn't have gotten the other six. We would have all been, I wonder what happened to that boy after his first year. He was so charming. <laughs> <laughs> Shit got rough for Harry Potter in more than one way. Um, but yeah, that's just the way that works. That's just, you know, it's... Um, so that word economics really comes into play when you're moving into the professional market, which is why when I structure rough trade um, throughout the year, I'm I'm trying to teach you these these. I'm trying to put limits on you to teach you how to do this, to show you that yes, you can tell a story in 10k, and yes, you can still tell a story in 20k, and these kinds of stories are very good in this, this, and this market, and, you know, being able to do that is a skill that's quickly becoming a lost art among professional writers. And, you know, mission accomplished, because before that first rough trade where you did the 10,000 word stories, um, I had never been able to write a short story in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, am I going to really sign up for this torment? I don't know that I can do this. <laughs> it's I can't. A short story. I can force myself to do it, but often when it comes to fan fiction, I don't um, grind myself under a rock to 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 meet that expectation because um, that's very stressful. And for me, fan fiction is um, a hobby that um, lowers my stress. So I don't make any effort whatsoever in fandom to add to my stress and sometimes I meet my word count and during rough trade and sometimes I don't um that's not to say that I don't want you to try to meet your word count because like I said this is a skill that you need if you want to eventually go professional because there are markets where if they ask you for 25,000 words and you give them 28 they're going to tell you no and they're not going to give you a reason it'll be just a plain rejection with Nothing. No feedback whatsoever. It'll be like, oh, this isn't right for us. Thank you. With a name on it. Appreciate your time. Bye. They they won't even bother to tell you that the reason they didn't even read your work is because you were over word count. Because when it comes to um, the modern world and digital um, submissions, they open up your document. They see the word count. They're going to close it because you're not even bothering to meet their expectations, and you're not even bothering to meet their guidelines. And if you can't follow simple instructions like meeting a word count, they're not going to trust you when it comes to something as more complicated as, say, editing. If you can't put together a cover letter and follow instructions, what the hell kind of problem are you going to be in an editing environment? So these are the kinds of things that I, you know, I, I hope that you keep in mind, and um, I'm not really setting out to torture you with these word limits on, um, 
on Rough Trade, or even the themes. And the themes come into play too because some because sometimes a, a publisher will, will put out a call where they say, okay, we want paranormal um, at 25k, or we want a contemporary romance set in you know, or just you know, they they're gonna give you specific calls for like anthologies and short stories and um, just general like I want a steampunk romance or they're just publishers do that. So I'm giving you themes like that in a way that it will get your brain going in that direction so that when you go to a publisher's um, submission guidelines and you see, okay, they're they're looking for 25K fantasy, they want 50K historical, you're going to be able to go, oh, okay, I can do that. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've been doing that shit for years. I didn't even know it. Because we're playing in fandom with these topics, but they're really translatable to other environments. I hope. No, I think I think I mean I um I think one of the things the skills that I've picked up the most from doing these challenges is uh, well there's a, there's a couple things I've learned but the skill I've really picked up is being able to judge my own plot and determine if it's too big for the challenge. And sometimes that means abandoning that idea in terms of that challenge and sometimes it means figuring out if there's more than one story in that um mm-hmm idea because sometimes there is more than one story in it and or easily could be more than one story um and the other thing that i um i mean i think i have gotten the ability to write short stories um from doing rough trade challenges and so when somebody so if i were to read a submission that said that they wanted 25,000 word stories i would actually feel like i could do that now whereas i didn't feel like i would have i would have just gone what why are you giving me a word limit? I can't do that. Um, <laughs> well, I'm super happy that you know that that that's kind of getting in there because I you know it's it's like it's an important part of um, the transition if you decide to transition. And this is not me saying that I think every single one of you on Rough Trade should transition into professional work. I think a lot of you aren't meant for it, and it's got nothing to do with your talent. There are some super talented people on Rough Trade, but professional writing will eat your soul. And some of you are so sweet, I would not want to do that to you. (laughs) I would be like, oh, please don't do that, honey. (laughs) Go write some more Teen Wolf. It'll be okay. Oh, look, your style. What if Styles did this? I'm over here. Oh, I'm over here giving you bunnies because and it's not because like, I, there are some really super talented people on Rough Trade and in fandom in general. There are a lot of talented writers out there, but I. But see, the thing is, Lady Ho. See, I just got in trouble. I just got in trouble. Um, the thing is, is there are people on Rough Trade who do have a very hardy personality that I feel like they can handle the publishing environment. Um, I wouldn't dissuade anybody from trying it, honestly. But um, it's a difficult road to hoe, and if road to hoe, and if you're—I don't want to sound insulting, but if there's no way to say it without being kind of insulting. So I'm sorry in advance, but there are some people who are. Um, thick skin, have delicate sensibilities, and are capable of taking um, the ramifications of a legal contract very seriously. 
Because if you get into a publishing environment where you've wrote on spec, and, and what that means is is you wrote two or three chapters and did a proposal, and some publisher sent you $5,000, you can't just decide you don't want to write it. Because they will sue your ass. <laughs> oh, I'm in the. I'm just not in the mood. Sorry. Oh, sorry. My muse left me. <laughs> just don't want to do it. I much prefer to write McShep this week. Thanks. <laughs> I have this really great Stargate idea. You're just gonna have to wait. No, that that's just not how that's gonna work. And so, and it's you know, it's it's not really a matter of um, um. Discipline, because um, a lot of people who participate in the challenge, it's obvious you have a great deal of discipline, and you're very serious about your craft, and you're talented, and you work hard. But the publishing environment's very, um, it can be damaging. I, I mean, it it damaged me. I, I think that as a writer, um, that it really narrowed my scope a lot, and... <clears throat> Coming back into fan fiction and opening myself back up really kind of healed me in a way. And one reason why, um, Lady Holder, that I don't pester you all the time to put out professional works is because I do think that it can be damaging to somebody who is so comfortable in fandom to switch over and write only original works for money. It goes back to that thing where it said writing is kind of like sex. First you do it for, for you know your friends and you, you do you do it for free and then eventually you do it for pay. I forget the actual I'm I'm I'm, will, I'm willing to be a whore. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is is there isn't a lot of money publishing unless you are JK Rowling or Nora Roberts. Yeah. So you don't make a living as a writer and um if you go into the idea um, that you're going to be Nora Roberts or J.K. Rowling and your first check is a couple hundred dollars or, you know, if you're really, really lucky, a couple thousand dollars, and you're like, hmm. Um, I'll be honest. In my first print book, um, I'm a mid-lister professionally. Um, nothing big, nothing famous. Uh, and on average, I make about fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars per book. Let's that sink in. That's what most fiction writers make professionally: fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars per book. Now, let's say I put a book into a publisher um, today. Six months, eight months out, it'll be published. Because it has to go through a whole bunch of production and da da da, and the print schedule, and there are other authors ahead of you, and they're in their schedule to be published before you, and then it gets into a bookstore. And if you're lucky, you got an advance, three or four thousand dollars, right? Okay, so you you get your first statement about I don't know, eighteen months after you sold the book, but you don't get any money because it's they're still eating up your advance. Ouch. Right, so say say twenty four, thirty six months later, after you've signed your contract and you've worked out your advance, you might see a check. I don't know, two and a half years after publication, unless you're J.K. Rowling or Nora Roberts or Tom Clancy. 
that's with print companies. Now, with e-publishers, um, a, a lot of them pay uh, on a monthly or quarterly basis, and you get your little checks, and that's really fun, and, and that's a lot of fun. I really enjoy publishing with um, e-publishers, and I have a whole bunch of – I have four or five pen names, to be perfectly honest, because I am prolific, and publishers don't want to churn out the same author over and over and over again. Um, and it's, it, it's nice. It's, it's not enough to live on. I'm, I'm really fortunate that my husband pays the bills around here, (laughs) but that's also another thing that they talk about in the industry that a lot of, um, independent writers are, are women who have husbands supporting them. And it's so much harder for a male writer to not work a job while his wife supports him in his career as a writer because he gets treated like shit for not being the provider. But no one blinks an eye when they find out I don't work outside the home. You know, it's like, oh, okay, isn't that nice? <laughs> but if it was the other way around and my husband wanted to stay home and be the writer and I was out, you know, working with assholes every day, they would be like, that lazy asshole. Look look at him making her work. <laughs> he ain't doing a damn thing. <laughs> well, at least he's mowing the lawn. <laughs> I mean, it, would, it would be ugly. It would, it would be, be ugly. ugly. So there are a lot of writers in the industry that are female and who, for that very reason, and then male writers don't get a lot of support that way. That's oh, certainly. Certainly, Senna. But, um, <laughs> for the record, my husband isn't a writer, which is really funny because the other day, yesterday, he comes in and he, I'm on the bed coloring. Shut up. I, I like to color. Um, I got some new markers that were really cool. I got some perma markers. They're really awesome. They're kind of like a little bee. They're like a marker with a little paintbrush. I I really enjoyed it. Um, anyways, <clears throat> he comes in, drops down on the bed and says, how do you write a book? I said, are you serious? <laughs> One word at a time, honey. So I laid out my process, and come to find out, he was trying to figure out, he'd read an article about the Black Panther movie and how they had their idea and they were working on the script, and he wanted to know how long it might take for the script to get put together before they start making the movie. And I said, well, script writing is completely different from writing a book, so let's just start over. <laughs> And, and usually script writing is, a lot of script writing is often done by committee, too. There's more than one script writer. Right, and that's right. Just... I said, you know, you know, I said, okay, say so for instance, I was going into um, writing the script for Black Panther. I said, um, the first thing I would have to do is read the entire Black Panther comic front to cover, you know, every issue. And then I would need to read all the comic books where Black Panther appeared. Well, but that's because you have a... a, a, a a reasonable sensibility about how you should approach that kind of thing. Because you right. know there's way too many screenwriters who come yeah. in and write that shit. And it's like... Don't even fucking they, they, know. They, they read the, they read the, they read the so cliff much notes. About or, direction. Um, yeah, they, they read the cliff notes or their wiki or something about that comic book. They did not read the comic book itself. And then I would have to look at the Marvel timeline, and I'm like, okay. I would have to ask them, okay, what characters need to appear in this movie, and what are their goals? Why are they here? And so I said, it would take me six months to a year just to prepare to write the script. I said, but writing the actual script wouldn't be much of anything at all, because they're roughly 30, 40K. 
at the most. Yes, and it's all dialogue for the most part and yeah. direction. You don't actually have to write any real prose. Um, and then you would say, and then you would have a, oh, we a, a do come a to Jesus challenge. meeting. Yeah, we should have a come to Jesus meeting with uh, with the producers, and you would say civil war is a bad idea, and you'd bow out of the project. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't do this. I don't think you understand what it's going to do, Tony. <laughs> Tony can't handle this kind of betrayal. Not after his daddy, and not after Obi. <laughs> it's just unacceptable. This is just stupid. It's a bad idea. The fans don't like you. They, they didn't like this arc to begin with. So don't do it. Why is that? <clears throat> this is Let's me helping you. Let's do something else. Let's just skip ahead to Infinity War. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, or we're all going to be better. watching DC movies. Or better. Okay, so they're getting all lined up, and they're getting ready to start their Civil War. Boom. The Guardians land. Star-Lord strolls out of the ship and says, Dudes, no. You've got bigger problems. Let me tell you about them. <laughs> Just, uh-uh. <laughs> but, yeah. He's, yeah, he knows about the timeline, Senna, and he knows about, you know, what they're estimating the date will be. He was just curious as to about what kind of process they were currently going through, because the director is a co-writer on the project, and he was just curious as to how that would get put together. So, um, and, uh, but, uh, it'll be really fun to have a script challenge. I've never written a script. I don't know what I would, um... I think I would, would miss the prose. I, I just, you know, just go yeah. and... The just dia- I mean, a dialogue is great, but just going dialogue and direction, you know, it would be weird. Because uh, I, I, to me, there'd be no emotional context, you know. You'd be put, like, in, in, in notes, you know, Bob is upset. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very direct. <laughs> Walk across the room. It's really upset. Look upset. I don't even understand how it would go. I mean, I just, I don't even, I don't even know how to... <laughs> I don't even know how it would go. Probably not. That's probably not ever going to happen because I agree. I would have a hard time writing a scene when I couldn't talk about how people are, you know. <clears throat> I can't leave it up to my actors. <laughs> That's my job. That can't be trusted. We fucking ad libbing. Right. I think that I, if, if I wrote a script and I went to watch the movie and some asshole actor ad libbed my script, oh, I'd be so mad. I, I'd have to leave. Like, what the hell was that, man? That's not what I agreed to. That's not what I said. Those are not my words, Robert. (laughs) You apologize. Now go back and do it again. Take two. So, no, I probably would never be able to write a script. Um, but, you know, it's curiosity. I do want to do an amnesty challenge. And what that, that would be is that um, you'll have uh, probably next April, because um, November is nano, and I don't want to mess up the nano thing for people who are doing nano at the same time. Um um, I think that next April we're going to do an amnesty challenge, which means that you can take an old rough trade project you never finished and bring it back to the table. Oh, wow. Because we all have one. At the first one. day of the challenge, you would post um, what you got, and then we would start. 
Pendra, yeah, absolutely. So I think that I, th- I think that will be our April challenge. It will be um, an, an amnesty month, or whatever whatever it ends up being called. Is is amnesty the right word? Probably not. Um, where you'll sort get to pick mulligan. up. <laughs> we can call, we're going to call it the Mulligan Challenge. Absolutely, that's it. We're going to call it the Mulligan Challenge, and we're going to um, you'll be able to pick up your um, your old rough trade and bring it back to the table, and that will be the, and that will be next April. Um, we haven't discussed the theme. I how I don't even know what kind of theme we're gonna have um for November. Do we have a theme? We do not have a theme. We do not have a theme. We were sort of talking about it the other day. Whore. Like was this, are we gonna have <laughs> a theme? Say yeah, well, whore whore. Chat room. Whore, whore. <laughs> we want whores for November. Okay, that sounds bad. <laughs> Anybody listening to the to the podcast that there there is context for that. I didn't just pop off with "We want horrors for November" <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> oh God, you guys. Um. <laughs> I just okay. Uh, I'll think of something. I mean, I don't even... Okay. <laughs> we could do a menage challenge. A lot of people couldn't write that, so I, I don't want to restrict people. I've never actually did a pairing challenge um, because I don't want to put any kind of restrictions on people when it comes to what kind of relationship they write or what kind of um, sex they write because I, I think that's kind of inappropriate for me to be putting that kind of... um. Um, limitation on the table. Of course, they can just choose not to participate, but I think but it could really limit a lot of people. So, like when you did a Stargate challenge, you didn't say they had to write John Rodney, you know? Right. Some people just right. aren't into that pairing, you know. So that, but you could do um, you could do a double theme, um, like you know, do this specific thing or something more general. Um, so, like you have a choice of participating in a general challenge, like I don't know. I hate to belabor time travel, but like time travel or something like that, some sort of generic theme. Or you could do something more specific like um, a military setting or military focus in some fashion or something like that. And I'm not suggesting those. I just was pulling shit out of my ass. Well, someone said in the chat room of a BDSM universe, again, that goes back to me not um, putting um, any kind of restriction on the kind of um, romance or sex that somebody is required to write. And I would never put a BDSM challenge or any kind of specific kink challenge on Rough Trade because that would be very um, polarizing for a large group of writers. I mean, there are 80 people currently writing on Rough Trade right now. Well, they're supposed to be. Not all of you are. I'm paying attention to that shit. I know I'm not saying anything, but I am aware of you assholes who aren't actually writing. I'm keeping track. Just let you know. Senna, you don't count. You had surgery. Um, and you did post. You did post some stuff, so you can't. Yeah, you you wrote. I mean, the ones who never wrote. I, I'm, I'm paying attention. Because I think people like, don't, no. you know, like, it's like, if you're not, like, legitimately, I, I know stuff happens, but to people have, like, shit happens in life and it's unexpected. I mean, I, I get it. 
but um, <laughs> we usually have a large percentage of people that did not have shit happen who just are like, like and they don't think they realize that you do work to get ready. Yeah. For each person, there's work. It's You know, there's labor involved. It's not just, Um, I know. would say I probably spend close to 25 minutes on each person who enters Rough Trade just setting them up for Rough Trade and getting their um, project file approved and all that stuff. So if you sign up, you're guaranteeing me 30 minutes of work. And there were 80 people on Rough Trade who signed up this time. Um, times Wait, 84 30. sign up and only like 80 submit project files, right? Divided by 60, yeah. So um, I've already spent, I spent 40 hours on Rough Trade going into it before we ever started writing. That's not counting the um, time we spent on comments, and that's just, you know, me and the mod team. It's Lady Holder and Senna and Jilly, of course, and Original Tempest, who seems to have disappeared lately. We did notice that too, Temp. We did notice. Um, so, when you add to my workload and then don't participate, it's kind of rude. I'm, I'm just going to say it. It's kind of rude. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lot rude. And I do keep, I, I do pay attention. And I also have a file, and I put you down in a little section that says signed up, did project file, never posted. And I make a little list. I'm not saying I'm going to be mean about the list. I'm just saying I have a list. And some of you are on it. <laughs> sounds very mob. It sounds very mob boss, you know. It's like she has a list. I have a list. <laughs> and some of you get on that list every time we have a fucking challenge. I'm just well, saying. Stop it. <clears throat> but I do want you to participate. So, you know, get in there and do it. Just do it. Stop being a pussy. <laughs> I don't gotta check it twice, Sybil, because I get it right the first time. <laughs> hey, I actually do have some bell bottoms. I love my bell bottoms. I don't even care. They belong to my mother. bell bottom. They belong to my mother, so they're like, I don't know, 45 years old. I had to replace the buttons, and, of course, there's some patches because um, on the butt. <laughs> because 45 years of wear, things are going to wear out in the butt. Jeans, yeah. Um, yeah. But what we did was is we just cut out a whole bunch of different part sections and did colorful patches, so they're cute. They're really cute. I, no, there's no what-what in this butt. <laughs> I'm too old for that. Once you get to a certain age, health issues come into play. That just uh, there is no what what in this butt. It's just no that I'm. I'm too old for that. She knows exactly what's in that butt. The list of things that I'm too old for grows every day. Just every day they get a little bit longer. Gets a little bit longer. I'm too over that. I'm too over that shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was saying you got. When I was younger, I when I used to younger, I used to think well, I thought I had to put up with everything, and now I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm not putting up with any of this shit. I, I don't care. Even if it even if it would be a good idea or whatever, I'm not doing it. It's one of those days. <laughs> we got a um a 
not a fresh market. We already had a fresh market. We already had an earth fair. What's that hipster health food, healthy store, you know, um, Whole Foods? Whole Foods. We got a Whole Foods. So me and the man went to Whole Foods today. And this dude pulled out in front of me as we were going down um, Major Highway. And me and my husband (laughs) double-birded the dude (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) And he said, no, you only get one bird, you're driving. There's some truth in that. But uh, you can kind of hold the steering wheel at the back of your hands and, and yes. bird, you know. It's, it's driving by, you know, pressure. Or you just kind of... So we just browsed around it and, and bought little things, you know, because we'd never been in one because we, we didn't have one. And we got it. It's been there about six months, but it was just really crazy when it first opened, you know, because people are dumb. Um, who, th- who thinks the grocery store is a fucking um, destination? Anyways, we went over there today. <laughs> Apparently we do, <laughs> since we did go over there basically to window shop, and we bought just some bacon. Just to see it, just just for the novelty purpose. It's like, what is this about? We we bought some bacon. <laughs> Was it is it good bacon? Well, I don't know yet. We haven't tried it. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> no, I said I bought some bacon, and um. And some lettuce. We needed lettuce. And then I went to Kroger, which is a more reasonable place to shop, and got the rest of my stuff. Because come on now. I was say, most, people, most people go to Whole Foods, and their first experience at Whole Foods is like, what the fuck is with these prices? Is, I am not paying that for that. There's no way. Oh, we also bought this-, um, this really, really good blueberry jam um, that my husband is addicted to. It costs $8 a jar. <laughs> this is what happens when you go to Whole Foods is you find something you just have to have again. Well, we have it. Um, I usually buy it at Cracker Barrel, and it was at Whole Foods, and so he went ahead and got it. It's wild blueberry jam from, um, and the company is Stonewall Kitchen. And you can buy it on Amazon. But I have to tell you that it's like ten dollars on Amazon for a jar that is um twelve point five fluid ounces. Twelve ounces. Damn. Ten dollars. But we got it at Whole Foods for um seven ninety nine. And if you have a cracker barrel in your area, you can get it at for seventy nine nine at Cracker Barrel as well. Um <clears throat> And it is really good blueberry jam. I mean, it has whole blueberries in it. This is not some processed shit that happened in a factory. This is like a labor of love hipster jam or something. I don't know. It's just, it's really fucking good. I I have to admit, it's worth every dollar. You get it on a bagel and it's just like, it just, oh, it is so good. <coughs> Anyways, I highly recommend that you try it, um, and, uh, if you like blueberries, you will love it. It is amazing. It is, like, the best blueberry jam I've ever had, ever, and my grandma used to make blueberry jam from, like, from scratch, 
So I know my blueberry jam. And it was like grandma. I love, I love blueberries. Ugh. I think they're, you I think they're will, awesome. It was it it was really, really good. The the blueberries are still whole, they're not mushy. Well they're you know that you you know what I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. jammy, but there are defined blueberries in this. It's not just some blueberry pulp. You're not you just think going, oh, this is gelatin and blueberry mush. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, this is like, it is the shit. So, so if you've got a Whole Foods or a Cracker Barrel in your area, Cracker Barrel and Whole Foods have the same price, $7.99. It's $10 on Amazon. Um, I highly recommend it. It is so good. Um, and it's Stonewall Kitchen. Um Wild blueberry main jam. Anyways, if you got a cracker barrel, you can get some chicken and dumplings, which is also really awesome. Twofer. <laughs> I haven't been to a cracker barrel since well, since I lived in the South. That's I don't terrible. even know if they live. If they, I don't know if they live in, in even live in California. <laughs> I have to check I that out. Well, it reminds me of um, Will Wheaton was posting on his Twitter that he went to a Cracker Barrel and he was so excited. Apparently, he ate a lot. <laughs> okay. He was, so they have he a, was super thrilled. They have a Stonewall three-piece. Oh, no, not roasted garlic. That is not jam. That is not no. Yeah, no, no, no. No. Stop that. You can get a huge jar on Amazon for like $31, but you don't need that much to try it. So... Black raspberry, wild main blueberry, strawberry, wild main and, blueberry. Ras- and raspberry peach for thirty-seven dollars for the four. It's it's really good shit. I I highly recommend it. Um, I would like to put out to the people who are listening if you're on Rough Trade to stop asking fucking questions. Thank you. Every time you put a question mark in your comment, it immediately goes into the trash. I set up the website that way. It goes into the trash folder. That's why, if you do it, instead of your comment showing up to you as pending moderation, it just disappears. That's because the site's done away your comment. Because you're buffering the instructions. Even if your question is rhetorical and obviously rhetorical, just don't use a question mark. Put in a little ellipsis or something in there. Or an exclamation point on that shit. Because when you put a question mark in it, it automatically gets trashed. And also, if you use the word more anywhere in your sentence, even if you're not asking for more, it automatically trashes your comment, which is why it disappears. And so if your comment disappears instead of showing up on the site as pending moderation, that means that you've tripped my sensor um, and you've been trashed. Don't be an Which asshole. Which also, we have learned that if you have uh, the word more in your username, you will also automatically go to the garbage. Is that why that woman keeps, I, I could not figure out yeah. why she it's her, up in it's, her email ad- it's her email address. I was like, she's not doing anything wrong. Why does she keep ending? <laughs> Maybe I could put her in the whitelist. Yeah. Her comments are always great, but it's just like, because I, I kept looking at it going, well, I don't get it. Why are these comments in the garbage? Why are they tripping the, the sensor? And then I looked at her email address. And, oh, got more in her <laughs> I email had address. Not even, I had not even looked at that. That is hilarious. So I couldn't figure it out either. Um, but, oh, and speaking of rough trade and comments, um, we are at 7,759 comments. Um, since a, since the middle of since we started doing the uh, sign ups for the car, the 
challenge because those comments are included. Oh, excuse me, 7,773. Um, to give you some context, there's a little over 21,000 comments on my site. And my site has been around since 2008. So Rough Trade has generated almost 8,000 comments in the last 35 days. That's right. I meant to install a plugin so I could look at the site word count because I had one before, but it kept fucking up the moderator's um, dashboard. <laughs> For those of you who were having problems viewing earlier, um, we had a caching issue that I wasn't seeing because I'm an admin and um, um, admin uh, the admin wasn't getting cached. Um, content, so I wasn't seeing what you guys were seeing, um, but it should be fixed now, and um, but if it's not, send me an email if you're still having problems. Um, and I'll feel sorry for you. I'm not sure I'll be able to fix it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just be like, like, oh, that's too bad. Oh, bless your heart. I have no idea Here. what's wrong. Did you reboot? <laughs> Clear your cache, restart your browser, you know, the usual suspects. Just do it first. Speaking of, my mom called me, and she was talking about how she felt bad. I said, why don't you just take a nap and see if that helps? And she said, did you just tell me to reboot? <laughs> I said, essentially. Yes. She said, okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> She's just talking about me, not, not my computer. I said, well, I think it works across the board, so why don't you try it out? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are days when I hit. I think it's called decision fatigue. I think that's what it's called. I may, I may have the wrong word, but they actually talked about your brain gets to the point where you can't make any more decisions. And there have been days when I notice that decision fatigue when I'm approving comments on Rough Trade because I'll be sitting there staring at the comments for like, I don't know, two minutes. And going, <laughs> I have no idea. If this is okay, okay trash, or not. Trash, trash. I'm gonna go. So, 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 I'm like, I'm looking for the comments that say stuff like, "This was good," and I'm like, "Yeah, I can get behind that." <laughs> that I can't works. think. I can't it, think it tonight. Is. It is because sometimes you'll be like, the other day, I, I bet I had approved over a hundred comments in about two hours, and I was sitting there, and I was like, my husband came to the door and asked me what I wanted for dinner. I said, I don't know. Find something. <laughs> I, I can't make any more decisions today. And sometimes that point comes at 10 o'clock in the morning, and that's really tragic. <laughs> you fucking decide. I'm done. <laughs> and the cure the cure for that, the cure for that decision fatigue in the brain is sleep. So telling someone to go take a nap is totally legit. Oh, I sent a look to see if there were Cracker Barrels in my state, and the answer is no. Oh, that sucks. We just don't. We have lots of Whole Foods and no Cracker Barrel. <laughs> so someone just suggested a theme of decisions. That's an interesting theme. Sometimes I can't make choices. I can't make choices. I don't know if I could get characters to make choices. You have to make a choice. I don't wanna. No, I'm done. Fuck all that. <laughs> I'm making any more choices this year. I'm not making any more choices at all. I'm just gonna I'm gonna be a river person. I'm just gonna float along and see what happens. 
you know, my practice lately, I've been doing um, cause I I I do pay attention to to which some of the stuff that you say, and the the themes of restoration. My practice lately is uh, because I do want to get into original fiction, has been to work on things I didn't I don't want to work on, like you know, going with what needs to be done. Like I need to finish this. I need to do that. I'm going to get on and do it, as opposed to this is what my mood is. Because if I were going with my mood, everybody would die, and nobody would ever want to read anything I wrote ever again. Rocks fall, everybody dies, and not even sorry. Shit happens, Stargate fails, things got fucked up. I forgot to take the shield down. Oh, darn. Damn it. (laughs) Bump, bump, bump. (laughs) Damn it. They were in a hurry. They forgot to enter the GDO code. Things happen. The end. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Your tire's all flat and junk. Oh, did I do that? Let me get my cellular out and call you Wrecker. <laughs> oh, I ain't got no phone because I'm a pothole. Okay, <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> we obviously watch too much fucking TV. <laughs> yeah, too much YouTube for sure. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you guys. Kind of, not really. I'm, I'm not really sorry. Um, hey, don't, yeah, don't diss buttercream. You don't understand. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with buttercream. You got the buttercream brigade on the phone here. You're not going to convince there's anything wrong with a YouTube spiral about buttercream. My new addiction on um, YouTube is how to cake it. She is so creative. And it's like, oh my god! But I was like, what the hell have you done, Yolanda? Come on now, <laughs> we can't do that shit. She would get her she, ruler and she, out. And she presents, she presents it like it's just so simple. All you do is do this, and do this, and do this. And I'm like, I'm like, no. I would have a cake wreck in five minutes if I tried <laughs> a fraction of that. Did you see her um, Rubik's cube? Yes. I was like, and I didn't understand some of it. I was like, what's with the thin layer? What purpose did that serve? And it never is explained. Because <laughs> you know there she were thick layers me. and thin layers I didn't get it Oh because was, if you look at a Rubik's Cube um, There are uh, She she made the cake So that when you opened it up There was the grid on the on the inside too With the black around it Oh so you're Oh okay Okay okay, okay. So when she opened it up, when you know, when she cut it, it still looked like a fucking Rubik's cube because of the way she put the cake together. I always get sad when she cuts into the cake, so I, I don't I was like, watch no, that part. Don't, don't cut the cake. You should cut the. Well, you should did. watch that part because it shows you what that did at the end because it created those little boxes with the black around it and on the inside of the cake. Oh so wow! When she cut I was like, the cake, it still looked like a fucking Rubik's cube. I was like, that is some craziness. Because after she had her zombie moment with Bob the Minion, I was like, I'm never doing, I'm never watching her cut a cake again, a crazy lady. She, like, ate his head. Yeah, she she did eat Bob's head. It was um, pretty traumatic for me. 
don't eat the been talking to him. She'd been talking to him the whole like episode, the whole video. She's like, this is true. She had been talking to him, and then she ate him. It was, it was like an episode of Criminal Minds. <laughs> She's a cake serial killer. It's just wrong. <laughs> so I stopped watching her cut her cakes because I was like, I, I don't want to know what horror show she's going to do with that cake when she finishes with it. The, the snake cake was awesome until she cut it. Um, do go back and watch that um, Lego one. That Not Lego, but that um, Rubik's Cube. And you can see what that those, those little thin cakes did because it created that black grid on the inside. I will have to go watch the end of that and see what it looks like cut into. This is really cool. I was freaking people out over cake cannibalism. <laughs> well, you know. This is what happens late at night when you can't when you can't sleep. It's like, you know, cake zombies. Stuff happens. YouTube happens. Stupid game. I'm out of salt. I hate that. Not so that was completely out of context. We're actually on the air. Um, she's Sorry. playing Rollerboard, and um, she's out of salt. <laughs> Which is a really epic tragedy when you're make, trying to make 300 tubs of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I never give that cat anything. I hate that fucking cat. He gets in my way. I'm almost done with the latest one. I've just, I've been, I, my whole life has been corn for the last 24 hours. What do you get at the end? Is there any kind of reward? Oh, it's really nominal. It's like those stupid fortune tokens, and you get double the money for everything you give him. That's a lot of work for a little reward. It is a lot of work for very little reward, but you know, it like trips my it's kind of like. A book it's like on my desktop, I have to do something with it. It's like there's this cat demanding 300 tubs of popcorn, and <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself but plant corn. <laughs> and now I have to mine salt. <laughs> this is just, you know, it's it's just terrible. It's all terrible. And this is what, this is like, I'm like, it's stalled out. This is what happens when I get stalled out on something I'm working on writing wise, is I go and I plant corn. <laughs> <laughs> is that your go to crop? <laughs> oh, whichever crop it is, you know, whether it's, it's, you know, although we've had to plant blueberries lately, but, you know, lately it's been corn. But it's just like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to go plant corn. <laughs> I'm going to be Farmer Bob. I can't help it. My mom is a super fan when it comes to farm town. She has a whole notebook dedicated to her farm plans. She's a billionaire on um, farm town, and um, she has like 30 or 40 farms. I'm not kidding. And she also keeps track of all the things that she's bought on Facebook. So if some of her shit disappears, she contacts Facebook and makes them put it back. That's dedication, I bought a barn for this, and it's gone, so I need you to put my barn back. Thank you. (laughs) I thought my crop rotation schedules were bad enough. (laughs) I definitely don't keep my own inventory. (laughs) She, she is, she got, she's serious. 
She is super fucking serious, okay? And also, if you're on her friends list for the sole purpose of Farmtown and you do not work on her farms the way she wants you to, she will fucking unfriend you. <laughs> she unfriended <laughs> one of our cousins because she thought that she was a, a Farmtown friend. And the cousin called me and she says, dude, why'd your mom unfriend me? I said, were you playing with her on Farmtown? And she said, yeah, but I kind of lost interest in it. I said, she unfriended you because you didn't do what you were supposed to do on Farmtown and you didn't give her whatever she wanted and you pissed her off. So she unfriended you. <laughs> so just, just just call her and she'll, and she'll put you back on the friend list. <laughs> I said, but for fuck's sake, uninstall Farmtown so you don't get any more requests from her that you ignore. Because <laughs> when she asks you for a fucking apple tree, you better fucking give her an apple tree. <laughs> She's like a fucking mafia boss. She's not even playing. It's terrible. I guess if you put that much time and effort into something, you'd be like, you better do this my way. Then she also gets mad because apparently on Farmtown, you can either use your own energy or get energy from the person who owns the farm t- to do stuff. And when somebody, like, asks her for gas to run her tractor to do work for her, she gets pissed off at them. Ouch. Because she's an oil baron, too. She's got oil dikes, and she has gas manufacturing, and she still don't want to give her friend empl- employees gas. She's terrible. She's a terrible boss. <laughs> My mom is like... <laughs> She's terrible. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> just, just that no is pretty uh it. that's pretty hardcore. Uh she is insane. <sighs> Gibbs is tormenting me today. Damn him. He's the hardest character for me to keep in character sometimes. And when I'm not in the mood to write Nutter Bastard, I have to put the pen down. (laughs) Oh, Arlie says she got out. Yeah, the second B is your bastard, but, you know, there's just... He can be a human being sometimes, and it's you know hard to balance him being a human being and being himself too. <laughs> I can't stab him in the throat when he's my romantic lead, Senna. <laughs> it's just well, just uh, have in the leg. There's no happy and there's no happy ever, happy ever after if I stab him in the throat. <laughs> in the leg, maybe in the arm. Okay, I could do that. I'm just saying. I did that to somebody once. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to admit that on um there's net- yeah, another Yeah, he he grabbed my he grabbed my tits and I stabbed oh, him in the leg with a pencil. Yeah, he had that shit coming. I had a pencil in my hand and I just reached over and slapped it into his thigh. I'm like <laughs> it was a little aggressive and uh, you know, they said it was overkill, but you know, whatever, he shouldn't have been touching me. She regrets nothing. I don't. I've never felt bad about that for a moment. <laughs> I got a boy even, even on when the he bus was with squat- my pencil. Huh? He did what? I got a boy on the bus with my pencil because um, I was riding and he took my pencil away from me. I took it back and stabbed him on the top of the hand with it. 
You don't mess with a writer. <laughs> no, you don't mess with a writer like that. Uh-uh. You'll be dead in all kinds of ways, in real life and in fiction. I mean, he out he outweighed me by about seventy five pounds. So he like he like pretended it didn't happen because he didn't want to admit. <laughs> and then he let some little girl stab him because he was like in high school and I was like in middle school. <laughs> but I was fierce. <laughs> and the dude that uh, that I um, hit with the pencil, he just was whining and screaming about lead poisoning and I was like, you know, dude, there's no actual lead in pencils. You don't I know they call it pencil lead, but there's no actual lead. I mean they had not been lead for many, many years. It's the middle of the century. What's wrong with you? This this I did not save this pencil from the nineteen fifties to stab you with. You shouldn't have even talked to him because at that point he he had revealed himself to be a dumbass and was no longer worth your time. That's true. Yeah. I shouldn't talk to dumbasses, but then I don't know that I'd be able to talk to many people at all. They'd just be like, you know, a few people on my Facebook and and my sister, and and that'd be it. (laughs) Yeah, it would be difficult. I think there are some days when I just wake up and feel like everybody's a dumbass. It's tragic. That's what I get for for reading that email first thing in the morning. The village is missing their idiot and the idiot's parents. Mm-hmm. And apparently they sent me emails. <laughs> Sometimes the last thing I want to do on this very earth is open up my email. Like, I would literally pay somebody a million dollars to open up my email <laughs> if well, I, I had a million dollars. I can't bear it. I don't. I don't want to know what horrors are in there today. <laughs> I just can't deal. I just can't deal with it. I don't want to know. There are some crazy people out there, and they send some wacky shit. Uh oh, Senna has problems. Calling the National Guard. <laughs> you know, if I live closer, I'd be like, you know, hanging up and going on fixing that for her. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> See, this is when like, shopping medications are bullshit. They really fuck you up. You need to flip your bottle over, honey, so that the um, threads are, um, so the the lock part is the top and the th- the threads on the, flip your lid over. So that your bottle's not locked. Unless you got some weird meds that didn't come in a, a regular prescription bottle. My bottles don't have the threads. They just are childproof, you know. And they're, really? I have to, the, way, the way the way I would normally open them, she can't do. Um, right, yeah, because I, I have one in my hand right now. But I have Walgreens bottles, and they have the flip so that I can yeah. do childproof or just regular. And I flip all mine over because sometimes my thumbs hurt so bad just... I guess the beginning of arthritis that I can't open the regular bottle with the childproof thing on it. Yeah, I have. The, I, I have to. I can't use my thumbs to, to open them, so I have to press the lid into my. Because you have the ones with the thumb catch, the kind yeah. I have the ones you have to press down and turn, 
and you start, you know, there's there's an inclination to kind of use your fingers to do that. So I press it into the heel of my hand and then twist with the other hand so I'm not actually Can't using you, my fingers at all. You need and I think that's the kind. Well, yeah, there's that too. Walgreens has the regular bottles that um um I use Walgreens and Walgreens has the 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 lids that flip. They're either childproof or they're just regular, you know, easy to screw off lid. I'm sure that's really really um Do you have the threaded kind center that you can flip over? <laughs> she probably does. It's pretty standard. And my, I wish mine were like that. I might switch to Walgreens. Why did you switch pharmacies? Just so I could have threaded lids. Because it's ridiculous. I mean, I understand why you want to have them if you have kids, but there's no reason for not everybody to have the ones that flip. So if you don't have kids, probably, you don't need that shit. The only people who can get into childproof caps are ch- children. Are kids. Yeah, that's for just real. a generic truth. Because I never had a problem with childproof lids when I was a kid. Like this is like totally off topic, but who cares? <laughs> Anybody who listens to my radio show knows that after the first thirty minutes, topic is out the window. <laughs> there is no topic. <clears throat> we do not practice word economy on the show. <laughs> of course, the the description for the show is sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. So anybody who comes into this expecting a, an on-topic show for two hours has really got high expectations for me that I can't meet. I don't have a two-hour attention span. No, so, no, me neither. So the, 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 the shifting topics really work because then I'm not, like, trying to pay attention to one thing for two hours. <laughs> and, like, and sometimes when you start talking about crafts, like, I actually make notes and stuff, but I don't want to make notes for two hours. <laughs> it starts to feel like school. <laughs> well, you know... We can't have some craft stuff. Does does anybody have any craft questions in the um, uh, in the chat room? Because this is bitchcraft is my central craft um, topic show. That's why I put bitchcraft in front of it because I'm a bitch and I'm crafty. In case you missed it, but you know what? Someone on Tumblr said that apparently my inability to give a fuck is getting old. I still don't give a fuck. And, you know, I do bring it up more than once because here's the thing, person on Tumblr, who I don't actually know who you are because I think you were either anonymous or um, just someone I literally don't know um, or care to know. Uh, Every day I get between 30 and 40 new members to my site. And a lot of them have no idea I don't give a fuck. So I have to make sure they know. What exactly do they think that you're going to do with that piece of information? I don't know. I don't. It's know. like you of all people, right? They're going to go. Your your ability to not give a fuck is getting old. Oh, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm, I'm going to start giving a fuck tomorrow. <laughs> Let me go find That's what I As soon as rough trade's over, I'm going to start giving a fuck. How's that? I will better? take donations in fucks. Wait, <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Way wrong. That's not. <laughs> oh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I had somebody tell me that my um, my uh, the, that my uh, love fest for Tony was getting old. 
And I said, well, I just let me just stop that shit. I'll just get right on something else then since you're unhappy with the fact that I write so much about him. You tell them to suck my ass. Today, <laughs> today I went over 11,000 members on my site. As of about five minutes ago, I went over 11,000. And most of them have no idea I don't give a fuck. So I have to make sure that eventually they stumble across that information so they aren't surprised. Well, the fact that they know you don't give a fuck says something. It means they've encountered a situation with you where you've had to express the fact to them that you don't give a shit. Yeah, so I would say, no. that means That means the fact that they... It said that meant that they had been naughty. Well, this is also the same person in the message was like, um, they wanted to, I think it was a story wreck for one of my stories, and they wanted to know if it was actually worth them joining my site to read it, because um, my not giving a fuck was kind of old, and they didn't want to deal with me in order to get my work. Not kidding. <clears throat> That's a crazy question, Now, Is it worth my time to join your site to read your story? No, not really. Well, they were. You, know, you know, it's not worth. It's not worth my time. The only thing worse I've gotten in my email recently is this one person who got pissed off because they couldn't copy and paste from my site, and so they emailed me and demanded that I send them every single story I have posted on my site. Wow. In an attachment. They would prefer an EPUB. Thank you. <laughs> I've been there. Like my now. mouth was my mouth was hanging open from that level of entitlement. I mean, oh my god. Unfortunately for them, they had commented on my site recently, so I had their IP address, and I promptly banned them from my site because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> No, you can't have whatever you want. That was just like, it was absolutely nutballs. I was like, what the, what? But I've also encountered some people who um, have demanded just, have demanded individual stories. Like, can I have this because I can't copy and paste it and I need it for my blog? No. The whole reason that you can't copy and paste it is I don't want you to have my shit. So you can pass it around to people I don't want to have it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'll make a fucking ebook when I get ready to, or not. Anyways, did anybody have any questions that I missed? Because <laughs> I went off on a little tangent. <laughs> Jillian, what's the worst instance of entitlement you've encountered recently? Beyond, apparently, your boner for Tony is inappropriate. Oh, I... um. Well, there's been a lot of um, are you going to ever finish blah. Um, uh, are you going to uh, ever get back to Harry the, that Harry Potter story? Um, are you ever going to? I mean, it was just November for fuck's sake. It's not like I abandoned it for five years. Uh, and I told people on my site, it says I've got a lot of NCIS projects, so I'm not going to be doing Harry Potter for a little while, so suck it up. But... Um, yeah, I think I think the the biggest pain in my ass was I was gonna post the end of De Novo, 
because um, I don't, I know I'm not going to have time to edit it and finish it and get it, you know, in shape until the mm-hmm. um, after I finish several other projects this year. But mm-hmm. I've written to the end of that first mm-hmm. book, and uh, I've had several people bug me about when are you going to finish it. I'm like, okay, this is an evil author day. The point is, is that I don't have to do anything, and you're supposed to shut up and kiss our asses. Um, okay, right. Lady Holder has a question. I can kind of, I can answer this one. Thank you. Awesome. How do you make a batshit character still feel kind of like the canon character? I mean, so we can recognize them. I think that almost every character you encounter has this one quirk that you can kind of just twist just a little and they turn into a fucking asshole. Like with Keller, obviously her lack of ethics as a doctor is an extreme problem that they gloss over repeatedly on the show. I mean, she is a real problem. And if she was on Earth, she'd already been sued back to the fucking Nebraska farm where she sprung from. She's careless with people's um, medical data. She let a personal relationship interfere with the care of one of her patients. She, I mean, she's just... Anyways, it's really easy to turn that immaturity. Just turn it a little bit. And then you are got, got this character, you're like, oh my god, how the fuck did she get into the Stargate program? What is wrong with her? <laughs> it's just really easy. So you take one little thing and just twist it a little bit, and then suddenly... She's an asshole, and you can do the same thing with Abby in NCIS. You can take her, mm-hmm. her, her bubbly personality and her demanding presence, and turn it in very, very easily into a grating and even offensive situation. You did that very well in your story this time. I mean, her entitlement during that scene was just immense. I was like, "Shut up! What is wrong with you?" <laughs> I actually said this to my computer. What is wrong with you, Abby? Can't you fucking so, see she's so She's so self-centered usually that, um, and she's so focused on, and, and can it, and that's, that's Abby. She's very focused on her own experience a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. That I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that you could twist a little bit and make it feel in character that she would be completely inappropriate and missing that somebody else is going through a difficult time and just make it be all about her. <coughs> very easily. Um, and Ziva's and one, you like. Go ahead. You could twist Ziva a lot too. Um, oh. be, but between her between her background and then some of the canon of things that she's done in canon, like the espionage and the, the, her, the her contributions to Jackie Vance's death, and um, just you know her leaving information out. When you look at all these little things that they gloss over in canon as not being a big deal, and you kind of play up there's consequences for some of that stuff. You don't have to go very far, and with Ziva's personality, if she were ever called on the carpet for some of that stuff, you know she's not going to take it well. The thing about Ziva is is you don't have to twist her a lot. No. You can make a slight twist on a decision, on a reaction, on a motivation. Like, what was her true motivation for turning the radio off in dead air? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, that's a really tiny twist, and it makes a and it does a 180 on her character. Now, when it comes to Elizabeth Weir, a lot of people talk about her fascination with Ascension and Iterum. What I would say is that that's canon. That's not me. That was already there. I just highlighted it in Iterum. Elizabeth Weir was so 
intrigued by Ascension that when she got infiltrated by um, the replicators, that she infected them with the idea of Ascension. She infected an artificial intelligent race of robots into wanting to ascend. Let that sink in. These were not organic. This is not an organic species. This is a com- this is a fucking mechanical species that is seeking higher enlightenment from a physical existence because of Elizabeth Weir. It's crazy. I mean, it's, the way you wrote her is exactly the way I see her. I, I touched a little bit on her ascension thing, very teased about it in some story. Um, but I just sort of mentioned that people were concerned about her preoccupation with ascension because that is her in canon. It's just what what you have to – you almost don't have to twist the character. You almost have to twist the reactions of the people around the character. Right, because cause no one in canon all, is like, whoa, 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 what the fuck, really? <laughs> right, so what you had to twist was not her. You had to twist John and Rodney to say this is messed up and then just extrapolate how the weird we see in canon would react to being challenged. And it's not good because you can see that leaking out of her, especially like in, say, in Trinity and in um, Hot Zone. Not Hot Zone. What's the one with the nanite virus? Hot Zone. When, I think that was Hot Zone. No, that, that's a hot, hot Zone is the Hoth thing. Yeah. Um, I know which one you're talking about because that's the one where John and Weir just lost her. She lost her shit because John left that room when she ordered him to stay put. Um, she didn't like being challenged. Penubria is saying Penubria. Am I saying that right? Is saying hot zone too. Penumbria. Penumbria. Either what? Pen. Penny. Pen. Um. Uh. The fact is, is that John should have been in charge at that point because the expedition charter said that in, when it comes to the safety of the expedition, that it is a military leader's job. That was his position, his play, and it wasn't the best play he could have made, granted. Um, but if he hadn't made it, everyone that she had isolated would have died because they would not have gotten um, the help they needed because of John's actions. And another thing I highlighted in Iterum that is true, this is a canon fact. Elizabeth Weir is a diplomat and a politician. She has absolutely no leadership experience listed with her character. She had no business running that expedition once they dis- once they encountered the wraith. None. It makes None. no sense. No. Um, and I think that all you have to do a lot of times with these characters is not so much like Ziva. You don't even have to, like, like twist her at all. You just have to challenge her behavior. Um, and so you have to stop making being, making everything and everyone be oblivious. Um, or, you know, like, it, as much as dead air sticks in, sticks in my craw, I think one of the most pre-dead air, one of the most egregious things I've ever seen in a TV show was when at the end of season six, they confirm that Ziva's guilty of espionage. And at the beginning of season seven, they can make her a U.S. citizen and make her an NCIS agent. I don't understand. (laughs) Why the fuck wasn't she in jail? 
She, she should have at least been deported. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, she she uh, she was basically as a, acting as a spy. You know, and and they just they just like throw that crap out there. They throw it out there as a plot point. Like, oh, she took all this information. She took all these NCIS case files, and she took, shunt them off to Mossad with a secret laptop that was so heavily encrypted that it took them incredible feats to break into it. And this is what she was doing, which was the impetus for Tony to go and confront her when he wound up killing Michael. And they just, they threw all that out there, and then it's like it went away. Well, I I mean, it's it's not so much changing Ziva as it is correcting that shit when you say, hey... Uh, that's you're really unacceptable. Yeah, that's yeah. You can't do that. I think one of the things that highlights Weir's um, lack of leadership and her inability to understand the ramifications of what was going to come was when she fucking negotiated with the race. You do not negotiate with a species who thinks you're food. No. I thought the experimentation on the race too was really kind of heinous. Oh yeah, because like for all the it's like poking a hive, it's like kicking the shit yeah. out of a beehive and hoping for the best. The scientific decisions that were made on the show were just um, no. It's like why would they do that? And actually, I really liked how you addressed that with Rodney and I and um, I don't know if it's Iterum or Iterum or I I I. I I'm crap with pronouncing Latin. Um, I'm saying iterum. I'm not sure if it's right, but since it's my story, I think I get. You can I get say it however decide. you want. It's right. like it's like you know when your name is you know Bob. If you want to say your name is Boab, you can do that. <laughs> right. It's your name. <laughs> but the way you addressed um, have Rodney, you know, in this whole second chance thing, is look back on his own decisions and mistakes and say, you know, I, I screwed up along the way. I made some I made some bad decisions and it led to this, this and this. These are the consequences of those bad decisions and I thought that was just really sound because they were bad decisions. The scientific decisions made on that show were just careless. Well what I wanted to reflect when it comes to um Rodney because it is told mostly from John's point of view. Um but the moments that Rodney are, have are very um, coordinated in my plot. They they each have a purpose and a point. And Rodney's reflection on his mistakes, um, and you know, was important because it led to his murder. Every decision he made from basically the moment he stepped foot in the mountain to do Kinsey's bidding and get the Stargate back online and basically sacrifice Tilk in the process, um, every decision he made from that point forward led him to his own murder. The loss, I mean, his his exile into Siberia, uh, which tainted and created a situation where Elizabeth Weir didn't trust him as much as she should have going into the expedition. There was a little... John and Rodney both went into that not as trusted as they could have been because of their past mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
and they created uh, situations along the way that eventually led, and John's inability to accept his his uh, emotional attachment to Rodney and what that really meant until it was too late. And then even then, he didn't act appropriately. Instead of confessing to Rodney that he loved him, he <laughs> chose instead to try to break up the relationship without admitting his own feelings. Again, this was a mistake that led to Rodney's murder across the board. And so when, you know, Rodney's gone back in time and he's facing this, he's facing all these bad decisions that eventually led to the destruction of his mind yet again. Um, and to have his fate be in the hands of Jennifer Keller yet again. Which, which was, I, I, I did it on purpose, by the way. That was a mirror situation. Um, it was a craft choice I made that um, that both times he lost his mind, um, Jennifer Keller was instrumental <laughs> in the situation. <laughs> I told you that on purpose. Um, because I wanted to drive the point home with Rodney that um, that in his bad decisions that he had sacrificed what he valued in himself the most. And so, but you know, that's just what I, I think. I think I think what you've done is a brilliant exploration into into both what a reasonable human being would do in that kind of situation, like look at look at the mistakes they made and how not to make them again, but also in exposing um, really weak plotting and weak character development in the show. Yeah, no. It's that. But you know, the thing is, that is the easiest thing to do. That's the easiest part. Yeah. As much as I love Atlantis, it was not well written. <laughs> no. Well, we had this. We had the same thing with you know with with especially later seasons of NCIS. It's like, what are you? I mean, the characters. Some of them are great, but what are you doing with the writing? This is bad, bad, bad. And, you know, I've like, I've had, and I know you get this too, people tell me that I wish you wrote for the show. I'm like, you know, I couldn't because I'd have to throw out like everything that they've done. <laughs> Say, reboot. Yeah, <laughs> I'll get fired. I'd be like, did you, did you know this was stupid? I thought you should, you're fired. Thanks. I thought so. How many times is Gibbs going to change age? Don't you guys have like a character Bible where you like keep track of this shit? They don't want to let Mark Harmon go, yeah, and he's and he's approaching retirement age. Yeah, repeatedly. I think he's actually already passed it like once. Yeah, I think according to like canon dates, the first time we hear a hint of his age, yeah, we're past it. But oh, yeah, and you know, I keep. Um, uh, but that's like, just I like field my... retirement, right? They can move him into the director's position. Yeah, and even in the case, because I, I did a lot of research into this, is that even in the case of, like, once you hit 57, um, you, it can be extended to 60 in times of, um, like, major crisis or whatever, but it has to be approved by X number of people. And then, like, it's almost by with presidential authority, practically, they can extend it to 65. But you, that's for just for field agents. Um, and but you're only allowed to have a certain like in the FBI. FBI is much more more um, transparent about this than this. So it's based on the FBI, not on NCIS. But I'm assuming NCIS has similar rules. 
but you're only allowed to have a certain percentage of um, senior management above the retirement age as the FBI, from what I read. It was very, it was some weird, like, you know, you could only have uh, – because retirement is not even – it's 57 is the maximum age, but they can, all, they can also retire you just after 20 years. So once you hit your 20 – you know, you can they can take you out of out of the field if they want to, and, and there's there's actually some rationale for that about they want people in these positions who are physically capable of doing the job, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense, you know. But some 67 year 57 year olds are certainly adequately capable, but I'm sure that that's why they have um, physicals and they assess that kind of thing. But yeah, I got way too much into researching. Um, retirement ages and stuff, or some some story where that I was dealing with that. Oh, it was DeNovo where I was dealing with them pulling a character out of retirement, and I decided I wanted to get it right about how they could ex- what under what circumstances they could extend him his retirement. Oh, is that the one where you had Bruce Willis playing the character? Yeah. Is that you? I fucking love that story. Oh, thank you. Oh wait, is that DeNovo? Say it for me. DeNovo. Yes. Which basically is another Latin term that means almost the same thing as iterum. <laughs> <laughs> They're both Latin. They both basically mean start over. Yeah. <laughs> but in that story, it's funny, in that story and in another one I'm writing, and in, I think there's three I've got that are thematically playing with the same thing, is dealing with not what I see as like a change in story canon, but as so much as that Tony recognizes, and in one story, that degree, that uh, degree, that Gibbs recognizes that the situation that Tony landed him, found himself in when Gibbs was retired after his head injury, um, was a culmination of both of their errors. They both made mistakes that led to that, and mm-hmm. like I can't just like you know, for me, I can't just blame that on Gibbs because Tony chose to walk that path too. Yeah, but it's really clear how that breakdown in the chain of command um, and the breakdown in how the team functioned would have happened based upon how um, they did things in the first three seasons. It was like it was almost inevitable. So uh, it's something that I wanted to explore was like Tony going, "Hey, this is this is part of my this is partly my fault. You know, I, I put up with it, but I I can't put up with it anymore. You know, enough." As opposed to just, you know, they're just saying it's all Gibbs' fault for treating Tony badly because that. Right, right. No, it's a, what, you know, it's a mixed bag. There's, in 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 the wrong situations, it involves more than one person. One person is not completely responsible, mm-hmm. and that is not victim blaming. So, so I, don't go there with me, people. Um, we all have a a certain degree of control over our circumstances. Uh, in situations that develop, like the one with Tony and Gibbs, um, Tony had every opportunity to stand up for himself and say, you know what, this is bullshit. I'm not putting up with this. I'm going to Rota. Fuck he, all y'all. <laughs> Double and, he showed, <laughs> and he showed in um, in several in several episodes, he showed that he can stand up to Gibbs. It's not like he was cowed right. uh, into putting up with this crap. And so, he you just know, chose not to. Yeah, and you know maybe he had some neurotic issues about why he didn't want to be on another team. Maybe he was really was neurotically just wanted Gibbs approval that much. But he clearly was capable of saying no. And I've had. Or enough. maybe, 
and this is this is my pet theory on Tony Donozo. Tony Donozo has one big daddy issue. He does have it's big a daddy big he's, he has a big daddy issue, and um, he doesn't want to leave Gibbs because Gibbs is the first real paternal figure he's ever had in his life. Yeah, I think that's for Ken. I think that's legitimately what's going on. Is that it's it's totally a um, it's it's totally daddy issues. And I didn't say that situation, people. If if you want to ship it or not, I don't care. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think that's can. I think that's like that. That's the way I read the canon. It's just, but you know. I clearly bend that perception in order to put the two of them together from time to time. But, you know, I totally went down that path with, um, um, in the, in the new one, the new rough trade story is found. Uh, in, one of the ways that Tony is going to get over his daddy issues with Gibbs is he's going to get an actual dad. <laughs> right. That's some, yeah, that, that, that works really well. Yeah. To... It's like how to solve that problem. Oh, <laughs> let's give him a real dad. Um, there's an actual I'm father so there. I guess I can go from this i'm really proud of that it, it's uh it's awesome um one thing i encountered recently as i'm writing i was writing um on my niece's story phoenix um and uh she uh she's so smart and she um i was she was reading the rough draft that i have and um there's, there's a lot more of it than what i've got posted on my site um but since it was her idea she gets a little more freedom on that point than you guys do, so just suck it up. Anyway, and she's reading this, and she says, you know, I don't think it's right that Phoenix hasn't told Harry about Barty Couch Jr. And I was like, well, why? And she said that Phoenix was treating Harry just like every other adult ever had. Oh, ouch. And I was like, oh, God, kid, stab me in the head. Stabbing in the heart because you're absolutely right. And I was writing that. So I wrote a scene where Phoenix confesses to Harry that um, Barty Couch Jr. is in the school and he is pretending to be moody. And Harry asks him, he goes, when did I become this person who would let a, an, another human being be tortured for a year? When did I become this? Because you need to let me know. When, when did this happen for me? And then he was like, how can you let a death eater run around the school where Hermione is? Because, And he goes, well, he never heard her before. Phoenix said that. And uh, in the scene, Harry goes, well, you know what? You didn't take your Hermione to the ball. And Hermione wasn't your girlfriend. And I've painted a big target on her back. And there's a fucking death eater in the school. Two. And oh, it was sorry. a big was moment in the scene when I wrote it, and I was like, I cried. I got, I was like, wow, look, that was awesome. Look what I wrote. Because sometimes when you when you write something really powerful, you're like, shit, look at me. <laughs> yeah, every, so every once in a while you do that experience. Drag retired, okay. <laughs> I haven't had that experience caught. often, but, but there there have been times that I have put down the you know put down the proverbial pen, finished up the last sentence, and go, wow, I did good with that oh, one. She dropped that pen. I did. <laughs> I had a pen drop moment. But I I, I, I applaud your niece for pointing that out, because that is, and I, I like the way Harry responded to that, is when did this happen to me so I can avoid the fuck out of it, because this is just not right. 
Yeah, it was just like, you're, you're absolutely right. This is exactly what, um, and, um, but, you know, the thing that Harry points out to Phoenix is that not only has he painted this target on Hermione's back for Marty, for Barty Crouch Jr., who is fucking insane, but that he's, pl- that he's in the role of someone that Dumbledore trusts implicitly. So Moody's probably involved in not just the third task, but he's probably involved in the creation of the first task and the second. And they're coming up on that, and Hermione's going to be in the lake. And who's to say that Moody wasn't the one who put them under the water to begin with? And that he was involved in that process of removing the the people, the the rescuees, the, the the people who are going to get rescued from the tournament, from Hogwarts and putting them in the lake. And here is he's a fucking Death Eater, and now he's got Harry Potter's girlfriend at his mercy. So that was a moment um, in in Phoenix when I was like, yeah, that's. But my niece, she was like, you just can't. Phoenix can't treat Harry the way all the other adults do. It's not fair because Phoenix is Harry, and Phoenix should know better. So, my little mini-me is awesomely smart, and she just turned um, uh, eight. Eight. That's a lot of insight for eight. Wow. Yeah, she's super smart. The 12-year-old is reading it, too, and um, she was super excited to read about the Yule Ball, and... um, what went on there, and uh, she, uh, she, <laughs> this was her input, because I had not gotten to the part where Rita was, they were out in the garden, and um, she said, you know, I don't think Thaddeus or Zale would let Rita get away with that. They would figure out she was there, because they have to, they, they have to take care of Harry. I said, you're absolutely right. They would totally figure out that, that Rita was there hiding in the garden. Because the thing is, is they know Peter is an, an animagus, so they're going to be on the guard for that. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't they have noticed Rita? So of course they would have. So I was like, yeah, okay, you guys. <laughs> Give my book back because you guys are driving me crazy. <laughs> but the thing is, is, I spend a lot of time with my nieces teaching them about um, motivations and characters and um and how things work, and so they're very, very critical thinkers when they read, and um, that's both good and bad, because uh, one of them came to me recently and said, you've got to delete this crap off my Kindle, I can't take it anymore, <laughs> it was this book that that she'd gotten for free on Amazon, and apparently, I don't even know what the title was, but it was stupid, and she got so mad, she made me delete it from her Kindle, <laughs> she's like, this is just ridiculous, <laughs> I refuse to have this around. It's just tainting my Kindle. And she's seven. <laughs> well, she was seven at the time. And so, yeah. <clears throat> Lady Hill's just wondering about what her pen drop moment was. I think that's what that means. Yeah, I was I was scrolling up because I was trying to figure out uh, your pin drop moment. Um, gosh, 
She's got so much good stuff. Um, you know what? No, dude, you're not even you're really because um I think your pin drop moment is when you said, you know what? Why isn't John the Sentinel? <laughs> because yeah. at that point, you were like one of the only people in the Stargate fandom who were who was riding John as the Sentinel. Everybody else was doing Rodney as the Sentinel, and I was like, you were the first story I found that John was the Sentinel, and I was like, thank God, because somebody was thinking on my wavelengths. Because why the fuck is Rodney the Sentinel? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Just saying. She had a great. Well, unlikely and unwilling also is a great, great. I mean, I it's one. I get some some websites. I just have this like I don't know what you call it. Like I don't navigate some sites well. It's like this complete brain glitch, where I just even if it's perfectly logically laid out, I just get lost. So I've missed stuff on Lady Holder's site all the time. Like, where where'd that menu come from? And uh, she still says she goes, "Have you read?" I go, "No, I, I've been on that page." And I'm like, "No, I apparently haven't been on that page." And she'll send me links. And um, uh, I I hadn't read the unlikely and the unwilling, and I read a lot of her other stuff. So it was like one of her earlier stories that I read later. And to me, that was like that was one of my because the first thing I read of hers was um, um, Lion Ram Lion Rampart, um, and that was I was like, whoa. I need to get more invested in this author because that was incredible. So for me, that was a big <laughs> pen drop moment. And then when I discovered the unlikely and the unwilling, I was like, oh, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. Well, you know, but, you know that, said, um, the unlikely and the, will- the unwilling was the inspiration behind the Sentinels of Atlantis. And I, I'm, I can totally see that. And I'm totally <laughs> down with that because it's, Awesome, awesome makes awesome. But, you know, it's like Cinna. I I I love Cinna's writing. I love I love her narrative and uh, especially her narrative. Cause it's like people who oftentimes with people who have a lot of um, prose and not a lot of, and and sometimes they don't have dialogue. It's, I can I can get very unfocused because I have a short attention span. But like I like Cinna. I swear she could write no dialogue and write ten thousand words, and I would just like oh my god, I was just like bathe in it. It's so good. And, um, I think I need to redesign Lady Holder's site. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in Tsunami Bomb, she has this, Cinna has this one sentence, and this whole the story's fantastic, but there's this one moment, and it just, like, so affected me. It was, like, this perfect moment in, in a story, this perfect moment that was just, it's when um, Danny's getting dressed, and he tightens his tie extra tight because he was missing his collar. Oh and yes, that was perfect, wasn't it? I oh, just, it's just, it was it was this perfect, perfect moment in one sentence, and I just like I just stopped and I was like, whoa! It was for something just was, it, you know, she didn't over-explain it. It was just that suddenly he tightened his tie tie extra tight because he was missing his collar, and then she went on with the scene, and I was like, wait, no, the world <laughs> just stopped on that sentence. We can't go on with the scene. And when I read just, it during it was, beta. Because I did beta that story for those of you who are concerned about her house choices. I was involved in that process. So fuck you. Um, when I read that scene, I went, I, I, I kind of reared back from my computer and went, whoa, what? <laughs> you know, because sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's just like that simple. Uh, 
Yeah. It's like sometimes it's one sentence, and sometimes, you know, I mean, it's a great story. I mean, I just love everything she's written. And sometimes the whole story is a pen drop moment. And I think that she's right about um, Guide Me Home is is one of her pen drop stories. But for pen drop sentence, I mean, I rarely just halt in the story and go, whoa, that conveyed so much in so simply, and it was just perfect. And it was just epic. Great. It was great. It was. The Chad was great. What's that from? I just like... <laughs> Oh, it was Charlie's Charlie's Angel. great. That was from the, uh, Charlie's, the Charlie's Angels, Angels movies. Yeah. The Charlie's Angels the movie. When, she's on the, when she jumps off, because at first she's like, uh, no, no more with the Chad, and then she jumps off the boat, and he goes, no, the Chad was great. <laughs> it was the Chad, wasn't it? No, the Chad was great. <laughs> <laughs> the Chad was great. But no, yeah, that was like a big moment in that in that scene, and, and in that story where it kind of it really defines Danny for the rest of the story. It's like. Mm-hmm. Everything you see from him from that point forward, you know he's wearing that tie a little too tight, and it's kind of it's it's, it's kind of hurtful. Mhm. You know, but it, it wasn't really... overdone or overblown, and it was a very simple, but very impactful moment in the, in the story. <clears throat> it was. It was amazing, and. Yeah, sometimes you just have those moments when you're reading where you're going, wow, that was that was a moment. And then there are moments when you're writing, when you put down, you finish and you go, that was just, whether it's a chapter or a sentence or you just get something just right or, um, uh, and sometimes it's an entire story. I think the first story I ever put down the pen and I went, oh, I got that one right, was... Um, all Your Reasons, my Avengers crossover from last That's July. fucking awesome, by the way. It's my favorite one of those. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed writing it, and it, it was my weirdest idea. And I, I had a conversation with somebody once. That sometimes my ideas are really weird on paper, but you just got to go with me because it'll come out okay in the end. <laughs> um, and that one was the one that was the weirdest on paper. It was like, you know, it was like, you're going to write what? <laughs> and when I and I wasn't even sure, I was like, I I, I was like, okay, uh, let's see if I can pull this one off. Um, and then when I finished, I went, oh, that really worked. I'm really happy with this. Like, I have no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah! I have no regrets about this one. This one can stay as is. I don't know. You know, I think that um, what inspired me most about the unlikely and the unwilling were the very deliberate choices that were made um, about what the reader was shown and what the reader was not shown. And I was like, look at you. And then I met Lady Holder separately from that. And I didn't realize it was her, that that was her story, for like months. I don't know why. I didn't make the connection between um, that story on Wraithbait and um, the person who was doing my beta for the awakening, <laughs> a different fandom. It was um, no, you know, you didn't. She didn't hide it at all. It's just that I'm not very good at remembering pen names, and so I'd gone back to read the unlikely and the unwilling because, um, for what, for whatever reason, I do that. And I'm like, oh look, <laughs> I was like, look at that. That was destiny, <laughs> or something. I waxed poetic to a um, 
oh, X Files author to their face, not knowing it was them. Um, <laughs> we we met at uh, uh, Bascon, and uh, I just started going on and on and on about this one story I really liked. And she's like, "Yeah, when I wrote that, it was you know." I was like, "Wait, wait, wait! Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> I did not know that was you." <laughs> the worst thing that ever happened to me. I was in. Nashville. It might have been Chattanooga. I don't remember. Um, and I encountered a um, a person um, reading one of my books. And um, I didn't sit down and talk to her. I just sat down and I was I'm like, she's got my book. That's so cool. And I kind of wanted to take her picture because she had my book, but I didn't because I'd be rude, right? And um, and uh, she turns to me and she says, um, do, you re- do you read romance? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. And she said, let me tell you about this book. And she told me all about my book. And she said, you should read it. You should read everything she's got because it's amazing. And I was like, do I tell her or do I not? I mean, it was just like I'd gone too far. I had gone too far in that conversation to confess to her that who I was. Because then she'd yeah. be like, it's not really you. But you could legitimately liar. say, you can legit say, I have read everything of hers. <laughs> oh, I've read all that. Good <laughs> stuff you have no chance of ever reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just really, you know, ooh. <laughs> okay, so uh, on a side note here, I have to tell you that every time my mother reads Fall for You, she sends me a text message. That's she so reads funny. that book a disturbing amount. <laughs> She's like, I'm reading Fall for You again. I'm like, again? Uh, it's it's her pick me up. It's her pick me up read when she's in a mood. So I was like, for sure, that tells me she's having a bad day, in some respects. And she really likes the book, and it makes her feel all, you know, happy at the end when she reads it. She just well, that's nice. she loves the like characters and makes her feel all, you know, better about life when she finishes reading it. But it's just so funny. I'm like, how often you read that book? And she'll quote dialogue to me and start talking about the characters. And one day she just started talking about one of the characters, and I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you know, so and so. And I was like. Who? And she said, from Fall for You. And I was like, okay, Mom, I've read the story a couple times, but I don't have all the secondary characters remembered, memorized here. <laughs> it makes me want to write a story just for her and send it to her. She goes, because the one that she just goes on, on the, the guy who, I can't remember his name, and she's always talking about him, too. The one that appears at the end, who's in his worst days and his werewolf form. Cronus. Um, Cronus, yes. So she's always talking about, oh, Cronus is so awesome. And I'm like, Mom. Well, you can tell her that he's that he, um, he's the next book. I will tell her that. She'll be so excited because it's the first time she's brought up Cronus. She goes, so you would think Cronus is going to get his own book. And I was like, who? <laughs> this is Cronus. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to do a, sh- a short story about Marcus and Riley and their mating um, but the next novel is going to be about Kronos she'll just be so excited It'll just, she'll just you know but you know and I'm going to pair then... him with um, the deputy that got shot oh Yep. I'll save that tidbit for when she's having a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a doll. I got now. something to cheer you up, Mom. Cronus is getting his own book. 
<laughs> two weeks later, and <laughs> well, I think it was, I think it was yesterday. I got a text message from her like at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm reading fall for you again, I'm like, <laughs> Okay, mom. I think she could I be was... my fan. That's so funny. <laughs> I was like, I was asleep. <laughs> I was like, she's like, should I read her fan fiction? You think? I was like. Maybe, but if you do, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know if you're read, out there reading gay porn, Mom. Do you think she's reading my fan fiction? Oh, she probably is. I just The only thing I cautioned her was, A, don't tell me, and B, behave. I actually recommended The Awakening to her because she asked for one. That she said, what of hers would you read if you wanted to read something and you, like, didn't, aren't familiar with the show or whatever? And I said, you could totally read The Awakening as the original fiction. So I have a feeling. But I like to pretend that my fandom life and my mother are not having intersection points. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're just too good. I didn't mean to turn your mom into a minion. It it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> but in my defense, you're the one that bought her the book, so you have only yourself to blame. I do. It's just there. It is partially my own fault. I I could have just said nothing. I bought the book for like eight people. <laughs> like people people come up to their email. What's this book you sent me? It's a present. Just enjoy it. <laughs> Well, I hope they enjoyed it. Oh, they all did. Everybody liked it. Everybody like, oh, that was a great book. you have any other recommendations by the author? No. No. <laughs> you can go read her fan fiction if you like. What's fan fiction? We're not having this discussion. <laughs> With the gaze. Oh, we have two minutes. My mom is trying to get me to, um, she says, I don't want to go to your site because you told me you didn't want me over there. But if you could put that Harry Potter story you've been writing in an e-book and put it on my Kindle, I would appreciate it. (laughs) Which one? She wants Harry Potter and the soulmate bond. I'm like, oh, my God, it's so filthy. It's so filthy. What was I thinking? (laughs) Oh, why that one? Of all, just. Just hold out and give her a courting of Hermione Granger and pretend like it's the one that she's been talking about. I know, right? I did take out the sex scene that I had written in um, that story, and um, after I did, it flowed beautifully. And I think it was just that the sex was inappropriate for the tone of the whole story. And sometimes that happens. Well, I just write a story that doesn't need sex. It happened to me last April, and I was like, I can't put sex in this story. For starters, Thorin's underage. I don't care if he is 55. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, (laughs) that. I think he's battle-ready, but still technically a baby over there. Yeah, it was a little bit like, yeah, I can't do it. She's all grown up, and he's not. They're just not going to be able to get it on. Too bad. (laughs) Yeah, probably not the unspeakable because I'll have to explain three things to my mother and that would just be traumatic. I, <laughs> and definitely not darkly oil. Um, One minute. She, anyways, yes, we're down to a minute. Um, I'll probably be on 
chat tomorrow. I'll, I'll be on radio tomorrow. And um, I'm going to make Lady Holder talk to me tomorrow and make her, you know, not cook soup during my show. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No soup for you. Not really. I know. I get it. You put your husband before me. I, I, I understand. <clears throat> Anyways, you guys have a good Friday night. Go over to Rough Trade. There's some awesome shit happening over there. And I did post an update today. And did you post an update today? I'm not. Me? Posting. No. Okay, then no. no just no, me. No. It'll be a couple <laughs> days. And a bunch of other people. <laughs> <laughs> See you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs>